Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On today's podcast, author Garth Jones returns to talk about the film Sons of Steel. My name is Justin Hamilton and you're listening to Big Squid Presents Past the Amel. Hello and thank you for joining me today. We have a great new episode of our returning segment, Pass the Amel, where author Garth Jones and I dig into the technicolor roar of the exploitation world. Today's episode, we're discussing Sons of Steel, a truly out there movie that is so over the top, you eventually succumb to its charms and let it take you on a fascinating journey, or you sit there and you think, can I smell burning toast? Either way, it's probably the correct response. I I gave in. I went on the journey. It's a truly crazy film, and I had a really good time watching it. I had an even better time discussing it. That's what this segment's all about. If this is the first time you've listened to this, Pass the Amel is all about exploitation. So we go into a very unique part of Australian movie history. Now, speaking of movies, before we bring Garth in, I'm recording this the day after the Oscars, and it turns out the Big Squid listeners were well on top of the winners list with their love for everything, everywhere, all at once. Well done. Good. I love it. I love that my listeners were all over this. We did our favourite movies of 2022 episode. That was with Alexi Toliopoulos. And I had people write in and tell me which films stood out to them. And it came in hot. It came in hot with the listeners. It came in at number four on my list. It also came in at number four on Alexi's list. So we were up in the uh, in the right echelon for this film. And the film winning all of these awards, it feels like it's a win for, of course, the actors and the actresses, the directors, uh, for the writers, for everyone who worked on the film. Of course, it's a win for them. It's a win for the production company, A24. But it's also a Big win for the lovers of serious genre and also for all of us here at this podcast. So in the past, this film feels like it would have been a movie we all loved 
and then we would have tried to convince other cinema goers that it was worth checking out. And now it is one of the biggest Oscar winners of all time, taking out seven of 11 of its nominations. Now, check this out. If you break it down, one of those losing nominations was Stephanie Su, who lost to Jamie Lee Curtis. So that is technically more like they won seven out of 10 categories. They took out 70% of the awards they were nominated for. And that is a high number, a really high number. And for us nerdy lovers of high concept films, we're on top of the world. It is a joyous parade for all of us, and I was absolutely wrapped for them. Their speeches were great. All of it was fantastic. But, and there's always a but, having said that, like all competitions, even though I was extremely happy for everything everywhere all at once, I had different takes. And I've got to be honest with you, right? So I thought this you might find this interesting. First of all, and re- just remember, two things can be true, right? You, you Life isn't binary. It's not one or zero. It it can be many things. So on the one hand, I love that Michelle Yeoh is an Oscar winner. Uh, It's just great for her. It's great for people who look up to her. It's great for people who see themselves physically in her. That's fantastic. I've got to be honest with you. Kate Blanchett in Tar is by far one of the best performances I've seen in a film by anyone in the past 10 to 15 years. Like, I just think she's extraordinary in it. And I thought Tar was extraordinary. That was actually my favourite film out of all the ones nominated. And look, I know it had no chance, but for anyone who hasn't seen it, to me, it feels like the closest experience I've had to watching a Kubrick film since the great director died. This movie left me discombobulated right from the get-go, and throughout I was watching and wondering, is it a comedy? Is it social commentary? Is it a drama? Is it a horror movie? Is it a satire? Is it a a Lynchian dream? And it turns out it's all of these things in different ways and I loved it and I was really disappointed to see it go home empty-handed. Now, you know, Kate Blanchett has two Oscars and Michelle Yeoh didn't have any until this win. So it's great that Michelle Yeoh won it. But I just think Kate Blanchett's performance was extraordinary. And so... It's, it's a very funny thing to feel wrapped for Michelle Yeoh and also feel like they got it wrong because Kate Blanchett's so good. Anyway, uh, anyone who listened to Alexi and I talk about our favourite movies of 2022 will know that we also thought that Jamie Lee Curtis was actually the weak link in that film. And I know that is heresy, but from my perspective, I thought she was a little bit like Tom Cruise in Tropic Thunder, a movie star who knows their acting. Now, don't get me wrong. Once again, I'm glad she was recognised for her body of work. She is a queen of genre and it's fantastic that she won and I loved her speech and I'm really into her winning. But once again, Angela Bassett in Wakanda Forever exuded a power that was palpable off the screen. And I know that movie is not perfect, but her performance is extraordinary. And I also think... Uh, Kerry Condon was as good as anyone in the Banshees of Inishirin to the extent that she kind of comes in a little bit under the radar and I think she's as good as the other three stars and also if you're going to give it to someone in everything everywhere all at once Stephanie Zhu was the better actor had more to do but once again not poo-pooing Jamie Lee Curtis I just thought of the four actresses I'd seen in uh, those movies Uh, I thought she came in at number four for me. Now, I didn't see Hong Chao in The Whale. 
I haven't seen The Whale at all. I have no intention of seeing it either. I'm just going to be honest with you. Great story for Brendan Fraser, who appears to be one of the nicest people in Hollywood, and his narrative makes him a worthy winner. And once again, rap for him. But that trailer exuded a lot of traits I don't like in films, and it came across to me as soppy and manipulative. And I have to say straight up, I know I'm being unfair because I haven't seen the film, but I was with a friend in the cinema when the trailer came up and I turned to her and was like, yuck. (laughs) Like, I had such a visceral reaction to what I experienced. Now, maybe the trailer is doing the movie a disservice, but look, personally, I wanted Colin Farrell to win. I felt Banshees was a great film and deserved to go home with at least one Oscar and I thought maybe it should have been Colin's and I think he's so good in that film because... All the way through it, I have a lot of empathy for him, and I also think he's a fucking idiot, and it's great. Uh, Also, look, I know he wasn't going to get it, but Paul Meskell in After Sun is stunning, and that is a film I have been incapable of forgetting since I first saw it at a preview. So, once again, very happy that the people who won, won, but also a bit disappointed that other people didn't get recognised. And they, you know, they got recognised, they were nominated, but still... We have our favourites, right? As for the rest of the Oscars, I thought Jimmy Kimmel did a great job with only a few jokes missing the mark. And you know what? You're firing off a lot of jokes. You're not always going to get a home run, but there were lots of them, and I thought he delivered them perfectly. And I've got to be honest, I was fine with all the Will Smith stuff. He was never mentioned by name, which I thought was very smart. And look, he acted like a dick. Part of his punishment is to be ridiculed. And now, I think after a year and having that happen at the Oscars, personally, now I think he can get on the proper road to rehabilitation. And, you know, it's not up to me anyway. This is just all my personal take. Uh, You don't have to agree with this, and I completely understand why you might not. But I was fine with all of those jokes. Uh, By the way, I thought Chris Rock's material was pretty lame in his special. That's a story for another time, but I watched that and I was like, did I, did I really wait a year for this? Really? You know what the great thing about stand-up comedy is? You can have something happen and you can do it that night. Like, the thing that's great about stand-up is its immediacy. It, it has that over just about every art form. Like, something could happen to me now, I could walk on a stage and do jokes about it. I know, you know, it's not like I can make a movie right now. I can, you know, I guess I could film something on my phone, but that's still going to be pretty amateur. I can go out there and I can come up with something. And I thought his special was lame. Uh, Getting back to the Oscars, the only joke of Kimmel's that I felt was a low blow was the crack at Babylon. But that's probably because I thought it was great. And yes, another film that has its flaws but I think it's much better than the public is giving it credit for. And I think once a narrative takes hold, you're going to be buoyed by it or you're going to be sunk by it. Everything, everywhere, all at once, great narrative, wins all the Oscars. Babylon, bad narrative, ridiculed. But anyway, me getting upset about that one joke, by the way, I wasn't upset, but the one joke I was like, hey, Anyway, it just, it just shows that we all have our biases. So, anyway. Now, before we go, let me 
iterate in case you weren't listening closely and think I'm shitting on everything everywhere all at once, okay? Because sometimes I know you're running or you're getting something ready or you're driving and someone's cut you off or you've just vagued out. Let me just reiterate. Remember, I was the one championing this film after the preview on this podcast. If you go back, I was talking this baby up. If you go back and listen to the Doctor Strange (laughs) podcast, part of the reason I was so angry at Doctor Strange is because everything everywhere all at once took the idea and did it much better. I loved it. I think it is a worthy winner. I'm very excited that it won. There were just some films and performances I liked better. But this is the great thing about competitions. If you are a grown-up about it, they can inspire passion and debate. And that is a win for the movies. No one's right or wrong. These are just opinions. And you might agree. You might disagree. You might agree with some of this. You might disagree with some of this. But when we're in a comfortable position where we can have uh, grown-up conversations about things, this is where the movies shine. And, you know, you want people to talk about stuff. Okay. Now, just another quick thing. After my chat with Garth, hang around to the end and I'll tell you who my guests for the live Big Squid show at the Melbourne Comedy Festival are, what the topic will be and how you can score some cheaper tickets. Now it is time to travel to a futuristic Australia where an accidental rock and roll time traveller survives a terrible calamity and must travel back to the present to save the world. Let's get into this science fiction fantasy musical film entitled Sons of Steel. The Pacific New Free Zone is about to come undone. Man is a rebel, and rebels must be destroyed. Sick. Get this thing out of my neck. We're back for the first pass the ammo for 2023 the first pass the ammo for season 7 of the big squid podcast garth jones is back uh, before we dig into this uh movie that is one of honestly the most bonkers films i've seen in a long time uh, how's the how's the start of your year been uh, where where are you in the world uh, last time I talked to you for the last most bonkers film we've seen, Stunt Rock, um, yeah. we were staying in a haunted house, I'm pretty sure. So yes. we moved along. Um, we've gotten out of the uh, pseudo Kubrick uh, nightmare farm. Yep. And just gotten back from New Zealand where we've been uh, taking uh, the little one horsey riding, shark patting, squeak. Yep. <laughs> it's right. been very wholesome. Yeah. But now we're that, back. We're actually at kindy now, so we can uh, start talking about incredibly insane films again. Oh yeah, Sons of Steel. This is a movie, like I'd heard of Stunt Rock, like I was kind of vaguely aware of it. I have never heard of Sons of Steel. And uh, where did you first come across this movie? Uh, I well, honestly, it was because they were advertising the. I got a um, pop up ad for the Blu-ray release late last year, just before I mentioned it to you. Right. Uh, Never crossed the radar before. I reckon I may have seen the poster at some stage back in, you know, when they were threatening to release it on video. Uh, 
doing the digging backwards. Uh, <clears throat> essentially, the film was made for eight hundred thousand uh, dollars. Couldn't get a cinema release, so the producers and the director, whose name's Gary Keady, uh, self-funded um, Melbourne and Sydney midnight screenings. Uh, effectively ending the director's marriage <laughs> and a whole bunch of other quite sad things. But, yeah, they tried to get the film into, uh, pr promoted into cinemas, uh, landed with a fud, and the uh, company, uh, I think it was Virgin Video, that was going to release it on VHS, also went kaput just before they got that release. Oh, man. So, from what my understanding is it was sort of screened in a few uh, markets like Sweden and France and around Scandinavia, never made it to the UK, never made it to the US. And right. definitely wasn't a big release here and then sort of disappeared for 20 years. And it is bonkers as well. Like I, so, so what happened with the director and his marriage? Was this something um, where... went into so much debt, I believe, trying to push the film out. Uh, right. To market it. But yeah, they, they just, yeah, the... They just his partner left him and went back to the UK where they were from. It's the Oh my lord! There's <laughs> dedication to like a to your ass. Yeah, you know there is a point where how long do you support someone before you think, no, no, you're insane, and this is time to move on. I've seen the movie. I know what the movie. <laughs> yeah, Gary, maybe have a think about it. Marriage yeah. or the film with the five foot four. Yeah. Playing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have to tell you while I think of it, my friends John and Kylie watched uh, Stunt Rock and I caught up with them in, in Adelaide and uh, John seemed to have had a good time with it and Kylie not so much and, and I ended up buying them lunch to try and make up for it. So uh, John, oh, Kylie, man. if you're listening to this, uh, John, just you watch Sons of Steel because I can guarantee <laughs> if, if Stunt Rock was too much for Kylie, I don't know how she would go with this. I've actually chatted to a few people here in Brisbane too who have been like listening along and actually, yeah, they've all been enjoying the selections, which is uh, kudos to them. Yeah. It's an insight into me when I have to, when I turn up to some of these writers' meetings and things like that. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you to everyone who's listening and maybe checking this stuff out. Um, maybe we'll have to uh, launch our own production company and um, bring these movies back to the fore. He <laughs> says, not knowing how that would well, all work behind the scenes and... Luckily, I, I luckily I'm not married and won't have a wife who leaves me well, when this, she says this, this one was financed by the disgraceful solicitor uh, Charles Water Street partially. Right, uh, right. Got me too a few years ago, so he's looking to break back into the film industry. So maybe we can get him and Warren Perso and a few. Yeah, that's a <laughs> we can take it together. We can yeah. go in both directions. Oh my lord, I would. <laughs> Imagine we'll get in touch with Tony and ask him if Warren's up for anything. That'd be great. You're up for doing the bit 24-7, please. Yes, I know I would be. So let's get into the film. It begins with a computer-generated head telling us that Australia has a fascist government and is about to let a nuclear submarine into Sydney Harbour, even though the country is a nuclear-free zone. The head concludes by saying, these are heavy times. Uh, I wonder if this movie would have hit harder if we'd watched it before the last election. <laughs> um, yeah, Peter Dutton's still doing a pretty good job in opposition. <laughs> yeah. the bear when it comes to like, all those yeah. tensions, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, did you notice the uh, seal of the Oceania government? Uh, <laughs> the uh, Latin inscription is In Spiritus Wankum. 
Oh, yes, yes. yes. Uh, which could have definitely been a Liberal Party uh, approach to foreign policy as well. Yeah, absolutely. Also, it uh, really uh, gives you an idea of where the humour is in this uh, movie. But, but you know, also it also translates to, to faltering spirits. Right. Which is, you know, more of a 1984 vibe, I guess, when you get down to the... Yeah, it absolutely <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah, it's... Uh, younger listeners don't understand what the uh, fear of uh, nuclear war was like in the 80s and, and why bands like Midnight Oil <laughs> were so powerful. <laughs> it was like, thank goodness we had uh, those guys singing about stuff. But, yeah, I, I feel like watching this movie when uh, a Liberal Party, you know, when they were at their... Uh, specifically the Scott Morrison government would have made this movie hit home even better. It's like I feel, you know, so many people I know love the West Wing and I never saw it and then started watching it when Obama was in. And I was like, nah, I've missed the Zeke guys. I I got eight episodes in. No, no, no. This this, uh, small little liberal fairy tale is um, beyond me now because I'm watching it in real life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, you know, nuclear submarines coming to Australia take 30 years. So, you know, yes. the central premise, <laughs> we don't yes. forget what period this is set in, but yeah, maybe maybe this is both submarines finally arriving. Oh, yeah. Um, so we're soon introduced to our hero, Black Alice, a hair metal star who, when we are first introduced to him, rides a US missile onto the stage mid-song and the missile turns into a massive cock and then he flies away while an excellent guitar solo happens. Is this one of the top three entries for a protagonist of any film? <laughs> um I got really hung up on this, this idea <laughs> and I, I actually uh, went through a few lists and I can confirm Indiana Jones, Robocop, yep. Jeff Dax yep. Burrow, Darth Vader, uh, Batman, uh, yep. none of them wrote a rocket, rocket cock no. in the rafters uh, as their introduction. So potentially the top one. It is so funny and it was also uh, one of those things where you go man maybe kiss didn't try hard enough maybe all those hair metal bands just why why didn't they just ride a fucking massive cop that turns into a missile like why why didn't anyone follow through with this sure it was too subtle in, in a, if, a, if i could turn back time like, yeah and, no you know way yeah <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah, I mean I'm sure there's precedent with other bands like uh, maybe uh Wasp or something like that. But yeah, just right. the big red domed missile cock is a Yeah. Right. It is an innovation that should have been I, I, I was honestly super locked in from that moment. I was great. I was like, this is exactly what I want from this movie. Uh it turns out that Black Alice isn't just a rock star, he's also an eco warrior and wanted by the government which I love. He's wanted by the government, but he seems to be putting on some pretty big shows. So I, I guess this shows you how hard it was to find some of your favourite artists before the internet, right? Yeah, he certainly uh, yeah, wasn't uh, shy. <laughs> you know, the, the energy he was putting off too, that little man sort of like angry Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, 5'4 and cowboy boots, you know, yeah. hanging around like sort of Beetlejuice. Yeah, and, you know, the uh, anecdotally, uh, the actor Rob Hartley was uh, just doing steroids before every shot. Oh, really? 
it's just, yep, um, just, you know, juicing up and getting amongst it. So, you know, that was part of his uh, performance ritual uh, as a right. professional actor. Let's uh, let's uh, let's add the words allegedly to yes. all of this. Anecdotally, allegedly, yeah. On the podcast, the director did, so I feel pretty comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't want to hear him in real life. Uh, right. He's uh, seemed like he had some pretty, you know, angsty energy. Well, it it you know what? In hindsight, it does explain a lot about the film, doesn't it? Like he really is kind of giving off a very specific kind of vibe. Slightly clammy. Um, <laughs> Yes, very clammy. I feel like everyone's got some sort of musk uh, in this film. It's a real, it's a real stinky film to watch, don't it's you a think? Stinky one for sure. The uh, I've always wondered what it would be like to uh, not on a regular basis, but I wonder what steroids feel like. Uh, I've had I've had steroid eye drops for when I yes. had uveitis, uh, but I I don't know if that gave me any sort of buzz from it i wonder it's one of those things where i always wonder you know the actors that quite clearly are on the gear when they pump up for a movie allegedly allegedly. i haven't mentioned any actors names i'll let everyone else fill in the gaps they can just imagine who it might be but i wonder how it feels like it must there, there must be something uh addictive to the way you physically go about your day right uh this i mean Never, never use steroids, but this will be an insight into 15-year-old Garth. Um, <clears throat> we, a friend of mine at high school and I used to uh, buy all the muscle magazines. Really? And uh, we would, with our terrible country town diets, we'd go to the gym together. Or yeah. sometimes he'd have his uh, spare room with the, the computer in it with, with a weights bench. Yeah, and we watched the videos with like people like Dorian Yates and all those nineties like bodybuilders like screaming at each other with like you know black pants on and like military. <laughs> and you just come by together. My friend's dad would uh, eventually he would just turn up in the room and just sit on the computer while we did this, worked out with our you know Razorback singlets on and all the rest watching these videos of, like, those huge muscular guys. And we couldn't work out why he wanted to sit in the room and ensure <clears throat> nothing was going on. <clears throat> oh, he thought that you were maybe People having... Were... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Aggressively fucking. Is that what he thought? Fucking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on the way. <laughs> but, yeah, you have used, like, you know, supplements and things like that. But, you know, steroids obviously take a ton of level entirely. But, yeah, that was a right. teenage thing in the small country town. Fuck, that is great. Were you massive? No, not at all. No, I mean, I'm tall, but, like, it was, like, you know, without actually using, <laughs> getting on the juice, no, you can't really achieve that. Um, right. What, from you- what I know of it, yeah. But, yeah, there's, there's some imagery for you. <laughs> oh, that is just the best. I I genuinely love all of that. I oh, get it. Malloy, yeah. <laughs> We're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We know you've right. been doing all your, you couldn't be doing your tax for that long, seriously. Yeah. He must have just been wrapped that you were pumping iron and nothing else, because otherwise, you know, not not the not the gay aspect of no. it, but but from the sounds of it, it oh, the video is terrible. Yeah, <laughs> it would have been physically quite a, quite violent. Um, getting back to uh, Rob Hartley, uh, he uh, he does feel like now that you've mentioned Angry Anderson, he does feel like if his character had children, maybe it would have been Angry Anderson in, in Mad Max 3, Beyond that was, Thunderdome. Yeah, that was the vibe I had too. He also sort of struck that energy. And the performance in, in inverted commas 
sort of evolves into this sort of like self-narrating cartoonish sort of 2000 AD thing. Yes. Eventually. <clears throat> and he's got this sort of like Beetlejuice meets like a, you know, straight to video Terminator ripoff <laughs> sort right. of happening towards the end of it. Yep. Yeah. It's a, yes. And, um, you know, it, clearly they had aspirations of turning him into a franchise character, which is just utterly bizarre. He's, you know, like it's 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 a shame because I think the name Black Alice is fantastic. I think that's actually a really good name for a character. And then I feel like maybe that's where they stopped. <laughs> <laughs> he dresses sort of like the Sisters of Mercy. Uh, yeah. He's, he's clearly like, you know, got the little man syndrome. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, he shouldn't because it turns out that Diggs Chicken, uh, sorry, uh, <laughs> I've got spoonerism going on. <laughs> uh, the, the, the women are definitely into him uh, and he, he sleeps with a woman and then he, in, in this scene, drinks off milk and then immediately smokes a cigarette. And I don't know why, but the drinking of milk and smoking a cigarette straight afterwards made me gag while I was sitting here by myself watching it. And then he discovers the lady he's just had sex with is on the gear and she drops dead. And... Has an overdose. She doesn't die. Oh, yeah, she has an overdose. performance to save when she dies. Yes. His reaction to her overdose is pretty... That's right. Yeah. And it's... Like that's a lot. That's that's all in one scene, and that's what I mean about it being a stinky, mm. smelly kind of grimy yep. film, right? And she just walks in and stand, standing up, just pulls a needle out and <laughs> has her overdose almost. Yeah, <laughs> and even the uh, going to the um, going to the hospital is like the hospital looks like you'd catch. Nine types of Ebola just uh, walking down the uh, passage, don't you think? It's yeah, it's definitely got a vibe. I mean, the Terry Gilliam, you know, is strong in the what production design they've you know managed to wrangle out of their very small budget. Like yeah, with the sort of like time bandits. You know, oh yeah, twelve monkey sort of situation. You know, yeah, um, yeah, Brazil. Obviously, there's like a lot of production design or character designs that sort of you know, echo that sort of gear that Gilliam was doing in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Especially the receptionist that he sees eventually who's just all copper wires and things, like really uh. actually pretty cool for them. Yeah, like the, the, it, it's weird because it's like the movie is a mess, but there's aesthetically some quite good ideas. Big swings, big swings with like, you know, not much money. <laughs> <laughs> like really, really big swings. Huge, yeah, and we'll get to a few of the huge ones. Yeah, um, the uh, you know we get to see him, uh, you know, do some songs. Um, he has quotes like, and this quote made me laugh. Kind of guy that picks underwear out of his bum with his finger while talking to you, and it was like. Yeah, no, 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 that makes sense. That feels like a good way of uh, <laughs> describing someone. And then also I love that uh, one of the troopers just um, asked him for an autograph. Like, So the government's after him, but, the, but some people in the government and the army think he's pretty cool. He's a celebrity. He's yeah. Alice. Yeah. Black Alice. So the plan for the government is to bring in Black Alice and make a hologram of him. Uh, but the real trick is to trap him so they can bring in the submarine without his interference. And why don't they just 
shoot Black Hours? I'm going to go with uh, he is uh, potentially going to be martyred. Right. Why that? Yeah. And, I mean, the... What, he is popular. What is the scientist's name? Um, it's Scepter. Right, yes. Uh, played by Jeff Duff. Uh, I don't know if yep. you've been reading about him. Yes. But you know where we're going? <laughs> yeah, yeah, go for Yeah, go. Yeah, um, who's actually yeah, done quite a few Bowie-related stage shows, yeah. there, which you can definitely see in the performance as this goes on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think I, the, the plan I gathered, well, as he tries to pitch it to uh, Black Alice, is that he can become a hologram that can tour forever because there's no more money in doing gigs, although he does gigs. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he must. He must just do it for the love of it, like That's the rest the of us. Riding him, right? Yeah, a giant cock on stage. Yeah. Well, like you know, <laughs> I'm thinking of introducing it to my stage act because there's no money in live stand-up, so I may as well start riding a giant missile cock onto the comedy store. One thing I got really good at uh, during the um, lockdowns was making uh, paper craft stuff out of all the cardboard we have, so I can definitely get onto that. Yeah, great. <laughs> I made a little Batmobile. I made a cubby. I made. I think. It's time to shine. I reckon the neighbours are going to be pretty, pretty entertained when they see the yeah. spray the giant missile cock out the back. I, 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 most of all, I can't wait for you to try and uh, post it to me. That's the thing that I really enjoy. I'll bring it on the plane. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's carry on. Get it for a kick. Yeah. In the airport. Um, the, uh, the Australia they show us is in a bad place. The street corners tell you not only when you can cross the road, but also when acid rain is coming. Uh, the hospital, as I said, looks like it is chock full of the diseases and all the clubs look like they're full of rejects from 80s Elton John film clips directed by Russell Mulcahy. Uh, meanwhile, in the government, female officers in hot leather argue with hot female scientists who are good about what they're going to do to Black Alice. How would you feel if um, you had a vote and a fascist government came along and said, look, we're going to do a lot of things that you're not into, but on the plus side, our cabinet's going to be full of hot ladies in leather. <laughs> not wrong with <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't want to be cancelled this early in... Uh... 2023. Oh, yeah, no, it's uh, good but, um I I reckon I'd do a donkey vote for the uh, Shooters and Fishers, Fishers Party if they right. guarantee that their leader and deputy were actually uh, clones of each other. Uh, one who was a little person. <laughs> I would be, I would be up for all of this. Uh, um, <laughs> it is such a funny uh, scene, and also the uh, once again, it um, like it's it, it's weird. It kind of catches a zeitgeist, but kind of captures it poorly, doesn't it? That's kind of what's going on. There's my sex posters in the background. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, so I, mean, I guess it's still like you know, like Alex Proyas. And, you know, that, I mean, this is just sort of, I guess it's almost his generation, maybe slightly like these guys are a little bit older than Alex Proyas. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Those Sydney filmmakers that were coming yeah. up in the late 80s and would have seen stuff like this and then sort of translated. I mean, The Crow would be a good, you know, continuation of the aesthetic in some senses. Oh, yeah. Those sorts of things. Yeah. Well, I just assumed it was Sydney in the 80s. Um, but yeah. 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 It's so funny, isn't it? Like, I feel like something, like, there is, weirdly, there is a good version of this movie. Mm, yeah. It's, yeah, it's just, yeah, there's just a lot going on. And yeah. yeah nothing's, uh, nothing's off, off the table, really. Yeah. Uh, look, uh, Black Alice has time to build out a couple more songs. Uh, one that includes a dreamlike sequence of him just giving it to the man. And uh, do you think the movie could have used a couple more scenes like this? Do you think it could have used like more music? What do you think of his voice? Like for a guy who quite clearly, allegedly, anecdotally was on the gear. The juice, yep. <laughs> Like he was, uh, he was giving it the juice, wasn't he? He was having, he was having a crack. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we, you really hit the brakes when uh, he pumps out the ballad in the future. Oh yeah, the ballad. <laughs> I don't want any more ballads, but like I'm, I'm entirely down with like you know eco-conscious '80s Rainbow Warrior. Yeah. Is pumping, you know, protest anthems. Uh, yeah. A few more of those wouldn't have hurt. Just, just keeping it angry, I reckon, and. Uh... You know, maybe maybe more guitar solos. Well, you know, the band released one album, I think. Like, right. or you know, I think the band was uh, originally called Gypsy when the director discovered them. And right. They yeah, they did release one album. Uh, I can only find descriptions of it online. Uh, it sounds right. like pretty much sunk like the movie did. Right. Uh, there's a German band that have taken the name now that sounds probably. Uh, almost as <laughs> limited in their abilities on uh, iTunes. Right. Yeah, I'd, t- I'd definitely take more songs if it was just constrained by the, yeah, the mission statement is sing about submarines, sing about, you know, anti-nuclear proliferation, be, yep. be our terrifying Peter Garrett um, <laughs> and Genesis. Um, eventually, uh, uh it's so funny the amount of times that uh, in this document it has changed Black Alice to Black Adam. I was going to pull and... up on that actually. Yeah, it... Did you still want to talk about it? Oh my god! It just keeps um, it, it it keeps happening and it's it's too much for me. Uh, you know what? I'll be honest with you. I enjoyed this heaps more than Black Adam. What I enjoyed the most about Black Adam was James Gunn <laughs> saying, "Nah." Nah. Oh my lord. Nah. That is that is the only positive that's come out that of that. Fan- yeah, that was a you know fantastic little record scratch at the end of all that bullshit. <laughs> you, you, you know, um uh just as a side note, uh, so uh, I'm not sure. I think this will have come out beforehand, but uh, Ben and I 
watched uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in uh, Total Recall and I, I had a pretty controversial take which was I think the film would have been better with Bruce Willis because uh, I think uh, I think Arnie's really good when you see the video of him and he's, uh, you know, playing the – yeah, yeah, I think that's great. But I don't think he's very good as the befuddled guy not understanding what's going on and I think that's where – Bruce Willis could have done both. He could have been befuddled, but he could have been the arsehole. Uh, And I'm not really an Arnold Schwarzenegger fan, but there's this weird part of me that gets really angry when people talk about The Rock being this generation's Arnie. Because it's like, no way. Like, Arnie Arnie made some pretty big defining films and The Rock, like, his best – from what I can tell, his best films or his most profitable films are ensemble pieces. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of the uh, – I've seen the Scorpion King. <laughs> um, I've seen, you know, bits and pieces over the years, uh, never been particularly drawn to him, you know, as a action star in that. Well, I mean, he's also sort of limited, limited himself to PG-13, I think, or like, yeah. you know, the upper echelon of that. So it's like yeah. I'm furious. Where he's got a contract where he can't get beaten up for <clears throat> Yeah. I mean, yeah, a lot of people really dig the sort of the persona, but I just find it really grating. I mean, I'd rather see Arnie. I'm actually just working on the pumping iron Blu-ray and DVD at the moment. And I'd rather see like Arnie putting, you know, 1970s Instagram clips of himself talking about how when he gets pumped, it's like he's coming. And the rock screaming at you at 4 a.m. to rise and grind and, you know, not to be a snowflake and all that shit. Like, right, right. I mean, yeah, all that. I mean, you know, we've, as we've talked, you know, we've talked about the that culture in the 90s briefly and it's like, yeah, it's pretty toxic at the end of the day. Yeah. Arnie Lewis was having fun. Yeah. The rock's turned it all into this horrific brand of, like, aspiration and, like, you know, yeah. uh, he's got to, you know, and he hasn't really... Uh, converted that into box office success unless to his great, you know, uh, chagrin Vin Diesel standing next to him as a 55-year-old man who clearly doesn't work out anymore in a single end. <laughs> um, the, uh, do, you, do you think your, your mate's dad uh, had seen that thing about Arnie talking about pumping iron was I'm like sure orgasmic? <laughs> yeah, yeah. i sure we watched that and that, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, have you seen Pumping Iron? It's great. Uh, no, I, no, I it's worth not. Watch. I mean, we can't do it on here and in, on, in within the confines of Past the Animal. But yeah, I mean, it's a pretty interesting insight into just his charisma coming, right. from, you know. And, and yeah, it might be a little, some of the, the plot is, you know, his like, just, you know, he's constantly, like, working on bullying all the other people in the contest, the Mr. Olympia contest, and that might sort of ring a little bit on the nose 40 years Right, later. yeah. But, I mean, the charisma and, you know, coming out of that and just, like, you know, basically just obliterating the 80s with, like, rewatchable films. Yeah. <laughs> to do with, like, The Rock's Rampage or whatever. Or, yeah, no one's going back to that. Or whatever other shit, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The um, by the Sorry, way, I feel, I, I feel like you should go back to uh, your mate's dad and thank him for being a good father. I, yes. I think I think he was doing a good job, especially as an eighties, nineties dad for sure. Like he would have, <laughs> yeah, he, doing his best. Yeah. Um, 
so eventually, uh, getting back to the film, eventually yeah. Black Alice goes to get his hologram, and instead he's tortured and demolecularized, yeah. which is I don't think a word. Uh, suddenly we cut to the future, and it's like this is like about forty <clears throat> minutes in, and you suddenly go, "Has this been a whole prologue?" Like because it, it suddenly. We are in the future and there's a barbarian man chasing a hot barbarian woman. And since the setup takes nearly half the movie, uh, did you forget that the story was heading into the future? Like I can like when it got to this, I was I had no I'd completely forgotten that this was part of the premise. Uh well, firstly my brain locked up when uh, the zebra stripper <clears throat> Oh yes. <laughs> Often Black Alice, a bit of the old bearded clan. Oh, my Lord. Yes, I've and forgotten that bit. Then I completely lost track of what was going on during that lobby scene, which seemed like a precursor to the Matrix, where he sings a song as he mows down all these business dudes. <laughs> right. Actually, you know, I did think the same thing, that that felt like, a, a, you oh, know, the Wachowskis may have seen that and gone, you know what, we could actually do this well. Well, the frightening thing is that, like, there's a decade between this and The Matrix. Right. This came out in 89. The Matrix came out in 99. 99. There's 24 years between The Matrix and today. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It it does uh, – there is, you know, there's something very interesting about this film. You know, it's like it's very easy to make uh, fun of, but there does seem to be something like – well. I guess there's, for all its faults, and it has all of them, <laughs> it feels like it has more creativity than a lot of blockbusters we see today. Oh, yeah, and I mean, I think Gary Keeney, the director, actually had genuine aspirations of it being subversive. And yeah. there's a sort of, in some of the interviews I listened to uh, in preparation, like he actually, you know, insinuates that he thinks that may have been a little bit too anti-US, anti, you know, Right. Too politically saucy. Right. Well, you know, I mean, and that could also just be like, hey, I'm just, you know, rationalizing why I bought my life to (laughs) release this. But, you know, also there could be a little bit of credence in that. Well, it is, um, it is definitely uh, anti, uh, you know, all of those uh, things that were politically hot buttons back then. It's definitely anti-US. It's, you know, that that was a, a major fear. It was having uh, nuclear subs uh, coming to Australia. Yeah, sure. And, you know, so it is kind of th- this, this crazy, fevered, fucking anarchist punk rock dream is very much rooted in real-life concerns. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's... Um... Yeah, I mean, as you said, like, you know, there was uh, in the 80s, there was like, am I going to have to get on the desk and get vaporised? Yeah. Like, you know, be in the playground like T2, or am I going to get the Grim Reaper, the bowling ball meter death? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, imagery that was uh, permeating our psyche uh, on, on a regular basis. <laughs> I think they showed us that ad in like year three or something on a video. Right. <laughs> the red one. Yeah, this yeah. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I wonder sometimes if, um, uh, you know, people kind of forget Generation X. You know, it's the mm. uh, it's the generation that looked inward. And uh, I think it was because of all this terrifying, fearful, terrifying imagery that, uh, you know, you had to kind of try and find a way through it personally because you weren't going to find a way through it otherwise. No, absolutely not, no. <laughs> 
man. Uh, so Black Alice is brought back to life and we discover that when the nuclear submarine came into Sydney Harbour, it accidentally hit a ferry and exploded and wiped out Australia. That's a, that's a big sub. That's that, a big... I mean, and the Sydney Harbour that we see in the film is pretty dark too. Like, it's understandable. Like, there's yeah. nothing going on there. There's <laughs> so nothing. It's not there. Nah. <laughs> there's a bridge and an opera house and then just a waste. <laughs> like a quarry, basically. Yeah. And do you love that we find out all of this through song? I mean, it goes full Rocky Horror, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it really does. I mean, imagine, I mean, imagine how much that would cost to shoot. So, I mean, it's a budgetary concern. Like, <sighs> doing the song was fantastic. And with, Man. you know, with the mini me. <laughs> Mate, like, he is. And the Bowie and the Labyrinth haircut. The, the Goblin King haircut. Like, it, it's like. Nobody at any point thought, uh, let's not throw every idea into this. The, um, uh, you know, the hallucination of the backup girls from his band. Like, it does feel like, how, how much did this movie cost? Uh, I, what I, I think after all the lawyers and producers took their cut from about $1.2 million, they were left with 800000 Right. $80. Right. Whatever that is, you know, obviously still nothing. Yeah. <laughs> during what they've managed to pull off with it. But yeah, um, yeah, just, yeah, just the sort of creating the complete sort of like um, patchwork quilt from whatever they've got. Yeah. It's pretty evocative. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's uh, Black Alice discovers to his chagrin that the scientist has made it into the future using experiments on himself, and he and his uh, little mini-me uh, friend attempt to manipulate Black Alice, but he's too smart, and he finds a way to travel back in time to stop the ferry hitting the sub. Um, as I said... Australian fastball uh, barbarian. and <laughs> Oh, yes, that's right, yeah. And he's, and he's obviously, uh, the, yeah, just the... Uh, Eye candy, uh, barbarian sidekick that just turn up and yeah, <laughs> and and just kind of help out. Um, once again, all of this happens like the build up to this part of the film. It takes so long. Yeah. Uh, it's like I feel like this is like in a way, the movie should have started here, and we we could have had flashbacks. Well, don't you think? Or... A, unpack a few things for us, please. Yeah. Right, because it feels like this is also the part of the movie that they're... Like, I can't work out if this has got extra energy because this is where they wanted to get to and this is the part that they were most excited about or was this the part where they were starting to run out of budget? Well, it's certainly sort of... Yeah. I mean, yeah, the amount of things that take place in the last 20 minutes, like you get like a sort of low by alien sequence. Yep. Like directly riffing on, you know, James Cameron. Yep. You know... <laughs> That, yeah, yeah. Like a Mad Max, uh, one of the stunt coordinators was a Mad, Ma a Mad Max guy. You get the car chase, you get the motorbikes, you get the... Right. The weird get, fight on the ferry, the very... The, the, like, the weird fight on the ferry. Um, it's, it's bizarre. Everyone's turning on everybody. Also, why are all these mad punk rock anarchists catching a fucking ferry? <laughs> The party ferry. I remember going on the party ferry when I was at university. <laughs> uh, it'd be worth forgetting the roller skating assassin too. Yes, I know. The roller skating assassin is fantastic. And the offhand reference to a 
random pregnant lady at, at the Sydney Harbour being having the child that was the key to the future. Right. <laughs> And so they just suddenly are throwing in these, uh, yes, because he, it's the, um, isn't it the woman who eventually her child is the barbarian woman, isn't it? I mean, yeah, they seem to be the same person. And that, you know, that horrible aside where he just looks directly at her ass when she's crawling through. Like, (laughs) how many takes do you that think was they a did? Wall break completely. That one. <laughs> yeah. How, how many takes do you think they did where they kept saying to him, "Okay, let's do this again," but can you please not look directly at her ass? And then he kept, <laughs> he just looked directly at her ass. Look seriously, I've got about nine hundred milligrams of horse fucking tranquilizer in my body or whatever. I'm... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's Four probably. Years, I guess. Yeah. For like, yeah. If you if you're juicy. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows what he was actually looking at? Like he's <laughs> technically looking at her ass, but he may have been looking through to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so back in the present, uh, Black Alice saves uh, Hope, who is the hot scientist who's been on his side, and together they race off to save the day. But while on the ferry and fighting everyone, and he's he's pretty tough. Like he's quite clearly on the juice because he's taken out everybody. Yeah. Uh, they turn the ferry by accident into the sub, and it actually explodes. And for a moment, did did you think this is how the film is ending? Uh, if they'd let it breathe, I did. I would have. <laughs> yeah. There'd been more than like, you know what it was about less than ten second implication right. that, that had happened. Well, it, it does. It feels like something they should have lingered on. Yeah, like they and, could have done the credits, you know, or started the credits, you know, gone that direction <laughs> rather than yeah. a little meta wink and, hey, we'll see you soon because Black Alice will be back in Sons of right. Steel or <coughs> Mutant Vista or whatever. Well, it's funny because, you know, so we have this moment and uh, it, it doesn't, like the whole thing doesn't feel like it's been leading to this and then it does happen and you think, oh, no, this future is you know, bound to happen. But then uh, the head returns. We haven't seen the head for ages, like the electronic ge- computer-generated head. And and let's Black Alice have a happy ending where he instead saves the day. And uh, do, do you think the head was added at the last second, like there were too many gaps in the story or did they forget to add something? Like what the – like the, the head's just this <laughs> omnipotent – uh, narrator who just uh, well, seems to pop in when I, they remember. I want to know how much they actually spent on that cutting edge, you know. Right. Head in yeah. 1989, whether that was like a substantial budgetary, you know, outlay. Right. Because, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's, it, Lawn Mower Man's not too many levels above that shitty right. head. Have been yeah. Like an Apple II or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm going to confess that, like, I, about 18 months ago when I started looking at the second trilogy of uh, books that I'm yeah. currently working on, yeah, I did have an annoying AI narrator. <clears throat> oh, yeah, great. And thankfully, uh, you know, I figured out ahead of time was not, not the conceit I needed, and this has definitely proved it. Right. Yeah, it was like, yeah. No, this could be funny. It's like, no, it's not funny at all. It's just it's not funny. It's uh, especially when you're doing those, you're having those meta sort of winks at the audience, and you know, having the the juice ex machina of, oh, but you know, the AI is going to fix this. It's so weird because because I don't even understand where it sits within the context of the film. It's just it's just there. It's yeah. not like I mean, no, it's just like papering over the cracks of like 
the yeah. shit they couldn't film or the shit that they, you know, had to cut out to make a runtime or something. You know, um, you know how they can now get AI to, you know, what they term as dreaming and or to create their own art and and um, and you know how nightmarish that is, like how it doesn't make sense and things don't quite go together properly. Yeah. Uh, if if you found out that this was the first attempt at by AI of making a movie, suddenly, like that's how you could probably sell it. AI's made a movie. <laughs> I want it to be a little bit more horrifying, but yeah, definitely on that track. For it's sure. definitely down there. So uh, the the final moment of the film, and it does it has these moments of breaking the fourth wall, and he kind of Black Alice kind of knows he's in a movie, and uh, and the final moment ends with the film after he's been allowed to save the day. And uh, by the way, the steering on that ferry is quite <laughs> phenomenal. <impressive>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They could learn something from that. Uh, it ends with uh, the beginning dot, 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 question mark. And th- this is what I was uh, wondering. So was this supposed to be a series of movies? Like, was that the plan? What, what's your research found? Um, apparently there's supposed to be eight novels. Eight? Eight written by the director. Right. Uh, the tagline I found, uh, and this is uh, the first one was supposed to come out in 2019. Right. Uh, ebook. So you know that, like, shit's real. If it's just going to be an ebook by a publisher, well, apart from myself, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the tagline is trapped in the subterranean remains of Sydney. Alice fights for survival against mutant beasts, unearthly monsters and bloodthirsty barbaric warlords in a desperate bid to discover why his world has been, been annihilated. So they've obviously taken elements of the movie and right. then spinning them, as we were discussing the Dark Tower earlier, into a series as long as the fucking Dark Tower. <laughs> right. Wow. Uh, but, yeah, uh, he's talking, uh, Gary Keating's talking about them, but, yeah, there's no evidence that they're coming out that I've seen so far. But, yeah. So so he's holding on to the Black Alice dream. Yeah, for, for sure. Black Alice is his snake, snake Plissken, maybe. Right. It's, I mean, I reckon these would work uh, as 2000 AD style blips. Six, yes. so, and you could keep the AI, the AI narrator and it makes sense. Yep. Because uh, you'd have that, you know, that sort of introductory device. <clears throat> you know, do them as comics. Don't do them as prose because, God, I actually think that would get extremely tedious. Oh yeah. Also, if you had some, uh, if you had an artist who was good with the grotesque, yeah, then you could be really creating some interesting stuff, mate. Where would you like to see Black Alice go next? Where would you take the character if you were in charge? Uh, we would have to get him off the juice first. Um, calm him down. Oh, I don't. I don't mean as movies. I just mean. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Well, as I, was, as I was saying, like Dark Tower, I feel like I might try and uh, sneak him in as a non-copyright violation in a future book. Uh, yeah. So move things into the sort of dystopian future. Yeah. Uh, a little nod, a little wink. Uh, black, black, black Elise. <laughs> yep, exactly. Elise <laughs> with the blacks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Get it through that way. Run a little bit of notoriety. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's um, a hell of a watch and, uh, you, you know, in the end, what do you what what are your final thoughts on Sons of Steel? I really appreciated the just the, the Gonzo energy of it. Um, yeah, I just set up the new projector in our uh, 
in my office, my studio. And so I watched it about, I guess, like two months ago. And obviously we didn't get a chance to record because I got yeah. sick, um, not COVID. But yeah, I, it was <laughs> it was fun to see it on a reasonably big screen and see yeah. how much actual ambition was up there. Yeah. You know, again, get a sense of that. So, <clears throat> I think this was one of the last movies made with the tax breaks that are offering to Australian filmmakers too. Right. So just to see some lunatics who had been in the sort of video, you know, music video production get a chance to like throw something on the screen like this with this sort yeah. of um, it is inspiring. You know, it is, you know, it's something to be said for editors and, you know, <laughs> getting a few more professionals involved. But uh, yeah. It definitely uh, is one of those lost uh, gems that I think people are going to either be extremely annoyed by or love. Yeah, I, I think if you go into it knowing it is batshit crazy and it's technically not good, but it is full of ideas and it has a definite energy to it. And, you know, maybe... Maybe it's one of those uh, movies that you watch with some snacks and some booze exactly. and and a friend because yeah. I think it's I, I think I would have enjoyed this film ten percent more if we'd watched it together and were commenting sure. all the way through yeah. it yeah. rather than because wow. by yourself yeah. you know there's only so many times you can look around an empty room and go that was crazy. Yeah, and it sort of sucks that you know, if it's your first viewing, sitting there writing notes about it doesn't have to feel the same. <laughs> no, no, but... Uh, well, that was funny. I, I'll just keep... <laughs> yeah, I'll just keep coming back to that. The yeah, uh, the thing that I'll finish off with is, did you notice the three famous people that had thanks at the end? <sighs> no, I stopped it directly after the... in the Is this the beginning? <laughs> Mate, so it is the... Three of the people thanked uh, David Stratton. Yes, I did know that he was a big proponent, yep. Margaret Pomerantz and Richard Wilkins. <sighs> Richard Wilkins makes the most sense. Like, <laughs> I, I, this is what the film needed. It needed Richard Wilkins. He could have been the AI head, for sure. He would have been perfect. <laughs> so, uh, <Adapt> him. <laughs> yep. And back then he could open his eyes, so that would be perfect. Get Tim on fire, yeah, kick the uh, original and best Richard Wilkins. Oh, man. Well, uh, I, I had a really good time with Sons of Steel, and uh, once again, I, you know, uh, it's a, what is it, about 95 minutes? It's it's yeah. not, uh, it, it packs in a lot for its 95. There's heaps of things that we kind of glossed over because it's just, you know, if you kind of commented on every little bit of minutiae, it would just, you know, you'd have to do a 10-part series on it. And I don't think it needs that. I don't think we need to yeah, inflict that on, you know, on yeah. the parts. Yeah, but, yeah, there are, yeah, definitely. Uh, there's a lot to, a lot to yeah, uh, take in and absorb. Yeah. No, it's uh, it, it would be a perfect candidate if they were to bring back the scratch and sniff movies. Um, it would be uh, that's how I would re-release it. Oh, so. wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, 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 you know, in that spirit, I guess if you've got like a t-shirt you've worn at the gym, uh, just leave it in the sun for a few days and then just huff it while you watch it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. yeah. There you go. <laughs> the multi-dimensional experience. Yeah, just make sure you have someone nearby in case yeah. you uh, hyperventilate. Yeah. <laughs> um, Garth, where can uh, people find you? Uh, I am, 
in the new year, I am scheduling tweaks on Instagram and Amazing. Uh, Twitter rather than constantly being on there for my own sense of self-preservation. Yes. I do pop in occasionally, but yeah, I'm at Pass the Amel on both of those platforms and PassTheAmel.com is the website where you can get books and keep up to date with all the stuff I've been doing. Yeah, yeah. and Volume 2 of Homebrewed Vampire Bullets is now available. It's on January, yep, out on January 30th, it's a Monday. So, yep, it'll be out with a soundtrack and lots of good reviews out there, lots of fun stuff happening around that. And I just want to throw in now that let's do Dead End Drive, Dead End Drive In next. Dead End Drive In. Which is a 1986 film. Yep. Uh, directed by um, Brian Roach Turner from memory. Um Probably got that wrong, actually, but I didn't, I didn't make a note. Uh, it's about a teen couple trapped in a drive-in theatre, which is really a concentration camp for societal rejects. So we can get political. Wow. <laughs> that is, uh, you know what? If that it, sounds... It said a uh, diet of junk food, new wave music, exploitation films. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Well, well, this is what I say to our listeners. You're welcome that you're about to... <laughs> We've got be... you back. Yeah, we're going to take you somewhere that uh, maybe you don't want to go, but uh, if you come along for the ride, you'll have a good time. All right. Thank you very much, Garth. Thanks, Justin. As always, I'd like to thank Garth Jones for introducing us to this wild film. What a fun podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we had uh, recording it. Uh, We have our next movie lined up for you, so hopefully Garth and I will be able to uh, get that up soon and continue to broaden your Ausploitation horizons. In the meantime, head to parsiamel.com and you can pick up the first two volumes in its homebrewed vampire bullet series. It uh, is a very uh osploitation uh heavy genre uh it leans into everything we've been discussing here today and it's also extremely funny it's uh it's it's really great so garth is doing fantastic work so make sure uh if you are enjoying this uh, check out his two volumes of his series so far Uh, Melbourne friends, I'll be heading down for two shows only during the Melbourne Comedy Festival and you can save money with a Big Squid discount. On April 16, I will be hosting Big Squid Live with guests Celia Pacola and Josh Earl and we're going to compete against each other in the great Aussie movie list. Celia, Josh and I will be making our Australian movie lists in real time and you can vote for who you think has the best list. This will be a super fun show and look, Essentially, it's an excuse to be able to talk about our favourite Aussie films. So keep an eye out for that. That will be on the 16th of April. I think it's like 3.30 off the top of my head. And then on April 17, I'm bringing my award-winning show. Yes, I won an award at the Adelaide Fringe. I'm back on track, baby. Little Victories is coming down for a one-off performance. I'm loving this new show and... uh, after my run at the Adelaide Fringe, where it uh, was lucky enough to garner a five-star review, 
pick up a weekly Fringe Award and I'm looking forward to returning to Melbourne with this streamlined version. You would have seen, uh, some of you may have seen a version of it uh, last year at Comedy Republic in November. It's changed a little bit since then. Some things have been, uh, you know, I've just kind of moved on from them. New things have uh, picked up. Normally that's why I've had to drop things because other things have (laughs) turned up so I've had to squeeze them in somehow. So uh, I'm really looking forward to coming down and doing that. It'll be pretty early on April 17th. So I think it's like 7.30 or 7.45. So all my Big Squid listeners can access cheaper tickets by using the promo code PODCAST. This will save money for both performances or one, whichever one uh, appeals more to you. And uh, you can go to justinhamilton.com.au forward slash gigs and you can find links to both shows. Now, remember, if you're a Patreon subscriber, you can access even bigger discounts. I'll put up a reminder there of what your code is. And if you're not a member of the Patreon and you'd like to have access to super duper discounts to live events, bonus podcasts, works in progress, scripts and more, head to patreon.com forward slash Justin Hamilton and you will find a tier that suits you. I'm back on Thursday with documentarian and author Charlie Hill-Smith. He's going to be talking about his brand new comic book series, Crime Scene Australia. It's a fascinating chat, not only about his new comic, but the state of Australia and its relationships with surrounding countries and uh, the way we have uh, talked to, uh, to ourselves about how we treat the Aboriginal culture. So Charlie is a fascinating guy and also the host of my very first stand-up gig back in March of 1994. So you'll get the talk about the comic, you'll get some interesting uh, social political stuff, and you'll also get a little bit of Hamo comedy history. So keep an ear out for that on Thursday. I'll finish up now by saying thank you to listening to this podcast. Uh, I really appreciate you being a supporter by just having a listen and uh, and all the engagement that you give me across the platforms. I hope you're well, and I'll be back in your ears on Thursday. Take care. Until then. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health 
Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.